Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Church at Nolensville. If you're new, if you're a guest with us, man, we're so glad you're here. My name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. And if you're here, you're a part of something that's so much larger and bigger than this room. We are one of eight campuses across Middle Tennessee. And today, under the name of Jesus, our church will gather several thousand people who we hope are equipped to become disciple makers who make other disciples. And we're really glad that you're here. This week and next week are the last two Sundays in this room before we move to our new facility. And I couldn't be more excited to be on this journey with you. And you know, when we move into the new facility, if you show up at 1045, you're going to be late. Amen? What time does our new service start? 1030 on the 22nd. We want you to be there. That is an invitation just for you and your family. It's our soft launch. So if we mess up or whatever we mess up, we mess up with you and you don't care, do you? That wasn't a very resounding no, <laughs> but we, we're, we're confident that God has provided for us up to this point, and he's going to continue to uh, provide in the new facility. And we've said all along, we don't need a building to be a church and look around at what God has done. You're just one of two services here. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had close to 800 people on campus, and we haven't even moved into our new facility. God's up to something big with the church at Nolensville, and you're a part of it. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. We're in a series right now called Come Lord Jesus. And this is our Advent sermon series. If you're new to church, welcome. We're glad you're here. The word Advent, it just means coming or arrival. And the focus during the Christmas season is typically the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, his first coming to earth. And he came as a baby, grew in wisdom and strength, was ultimately crucified for the sins of the world. But our God is alive, the tomb is empty. And one day Jesus is coming back and God is going to fulfill all of his promises. Hey, listen, sin has been paid for, but this world is still broken and we feel it. There's pain, there's hurt in this world that there shouldn't be. And we long for God's second return, the second advent, Christ's second return, where he's going to take his church home and restore all things the way they were supposed to be. And so Advent is more than just the coming of Jesus the first time. It's really celebrating the truths of God, that God, through Jesus Christ, is going to make all things right again. And God, he he may seem distant at times. Our faith may feel faint at times, but but God's going to keep his promises because he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. And so therefore, we're not simply looking at Jesus' first coming, in the Bible this year, we're actually looking at his second coming. He, he came as a lamb the first time, a baby, but he's coming back as a lion and the king of kings. And so we've been spending our time in the book of Revelation. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, and I hope you do, go ahead and flip over to Revelation chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, grew up in the struggle. And Revelation was a little bit of a hot topic back then, still is today. It seems like there's an antichrist of the week. There's a picture of someone standing next to a sign that says 666. Maybe that guy's the antichrist. There were drills on what to look for. Oh my goodness, the European common market added this nation. That means the time is over. There were experts that read the experts. The problem was nobody read the book of Revelation. 
And there is prophecy in it, but it's primarily a book about worship. And the book is written by John, who was a pastor. And perhaps the pastor of the seven churches that are written to in the first three chapters. And John's an interesting person, the author of the book of Revelation. He was incredibly influential and powerful. So influential that Rome didn't really know what to do with him. He was powerful through Christ and popular. Because if John would have just been powerful but he wasn't popular, Rome, they'd have killed him in a minute. If he would have been popular, but he didn't have any power, they would have just ignored him. But through Christ, John, that wrote this book, one of the 12 disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was both popular and powerful, and man, they didn't know what to do with him. And so Rome had killed other leaders of churches, Peter, Paul, they were executed. John, by now, is probably the only living member of the original 12 disciples, and they don't know what to do with him, so you punish a preacher the the best way they knew how, and that's take him away from his people. And they took him away from his congregation, and they exiled him on the Isle of Patmos. Think about a big rock in the middle of the Aegean Sea. No one there but a few other criminals. And even if he preached, no one would be around to hear it. If he got a new vision from the Lord, no one would be there to listen. And he's all by himself. So what do you do when you're all by yourself? What do you do if you're exiled like that? What do you do? Do you go Tom Hanks and Castaway and build a Wilson? What do you do? You know what he did? When the Bible tells us, he worshiped. And we don't know if he sang. We don't know if he prayed. We don't know if he quoted scripture from memory. We don't know how his worship experience began, but we know how it ended. And last week in Revelation chapter 4, we look where he was commanded, come up into heaven. And John, think about it, got to walk into the throne room of God himself and gaze upon the throne room of God. He got to be there. Because see, John had just been writing in the first three chapters letters to the churches. And he was saying, hey, you've lost your first love here, God says. Hey, you need to refocus here. Hey, you need to get back on mission here. And there were seven churches because seven is the number of completion. So it speaks to all churches and all people of all time. And and God is telling them, hey, here's a problem I'm diagnosing for you. But it's not enough for God just to give a diagnosis. In fact, he's going to give a solution. The churches needed something more than a diagnosis. John needs something more than a diagnosis. So John says from God, he hears, come up to heaven. And I want you to see not only what has happened, but what's going to happen. Come up and be face to face with ultimate reality, John. Come see me, and I'll give you all the answers and all the solutions that you need. And John walks into the throne room, and he sees someone sitting on the throne, and I imagine to his surprise, at least somewhat, wasn't Caesar. You see, in John's day, in the first century, Caesar wasn't just king, he was God. The churches, John, everybody that he pastored, had to walk by statues of Caesar every week. And if you didn't worship Caesar as God, you were beaten, killed, or exiled like John was. They say, hey, we're not going to bow to Caesar. We only bow to Jesus. And he gets to heaven, and he sees the throne, and it's almost like he leans back over his shoulder to the church. He's like, hey, it's not Caesar. It's Jesus, the one that we've loved and adored and worshipped. He's here. He's worthy of all of our praise. And God's saying, hey, there's so much that's going to happen in the future that you need to know. But before you know all of that, you need to know the one that holds the future in his hands. 
And so today we get to look at another great vision that John gets. I want you to look at it. So God, today as we look into the book of Revelation, I pray that you would open our hearts and mind. And God, if we're all honest, we know that the world at times lies to us. And there's never been a time when we're lied to more than we are today. They tell us, hey, buy this, do this, try this. This will bring you joy or happiness. And man, we should know better by now that nothing gives meaning besides Jesus. And so we celebrate his birth, but we, we, long, we long for his return. There's a future that we anticipate. And so as we peer into the vision you gave John, would you open our hearts to receive what you want to say us? In Jesus' name. Everybody said? So we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 5. We're just going to walk through these verses. There's some incredible things that I want you to see. We're going to begin in verse 1. I preach from the CSB translation here, if you're looking for a new copy, if you want to follow along. So beginning in verse 5, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1, John says this, Then, he's up in the throne room, after he gazed, I saw... And the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? There's a, there's a lot of weight in this verse on the scroll that's being, hold in the, being held in the hand. Here, here's what you need to know about that scroll. The scroll is God's plan for everything. This is the completion and the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Everything that has been, is, or will be that God said is written in that scroll. And everything stops until someone takes that scroll and opens it. This is an important moment because he's looking at the scroll. That's the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But, but they stand still at this point until someone can open them. Look at verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. And I wept and wept, John said, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look inside of us. You've got this scroll that contains all the purposes and destinies and plans of God. And future doesn't move forward till someone opens it. And he looks around and he weeps because no one is able to open the scroll. No one. That would mean that, that the promises of God don't, don't come true. That would mean that, that everything that, God, that, that John hoped for, gave his life for, is exiled to an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea over, don't come true. The, the eternity in heaven that he hopes for and longs for, for the people that he loved and preached to, it's just not going to happen. Why? Because no one is worthy to open the scroll. And nobody can do anything about it because no one is worthy. This is, this is like the pain that some have felt when you realize that, that everything that you longed for didn't come true. This is that deep pain of a parent standing over the grave of a child. This is, this is like a parent waiting for a son to come back from war and anticipating that day, but then getting a letter, he's not coming back. This is when the worst thing that you could possibly imagine happens in your life. This is what John is feeling. It's like the ugliest day in February here. 
like in Narnia where it says it's, it's always winter, but never Christmas. And John's like, I've given my life for this. It's not going to work out. It's not. And the Bible says he weeps. And these are manly tears. It says, I wept. This is ugly snot bubble cry weep right here. This is no hope. Living on the Isle of Patmos, exiled for something you believe to be true, and now realizing you gave your life for something that isn't going to be. This is what John is feeling. And then look at verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, what did he say? What did he say? Do not weep. This is a command. It's an imperative in the Greek. One of the elders leans over to John and says, quit your crying. Y'all ever had a parent or an adult or someone say that to you? Quit your crying. Is that very helpful? <laughs> I'm tired. Quit your crying. Run now. I'll give you what? Now, that's not what the elder said. John. John, stop your crying. I'll give you something to cry about. But he commands John, stop crying. I've never been in a moment where something is an emotional, especially where it feels like your world has just crumbled and someone says to you, stop crying, and it's actually helpful. I don't know if it was helpful to John or not. Stop crying. But what I love is that the command to stop weeping is followed immediately by another command. Look. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. That's a command. The next word is a command. Look. Look, they say. So the command to stop weeping is followed by a command to look. The solution to solve his tears is to look. And not just look, but look at what? The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then look at verse 6. Look at what he says. Then, and that then there is like behold. It's like an amazement. Then, behold, what? I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 7. And he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. He's weeping. He's commanded not to weep. And then he's commanded to look at the Lion of Judah. And then he looks and he says, Behold, I didn't see the Lion of Judah, but I saw one standing like a lamb who had been slain. And this is Jesus. But let me ask you a question. You think Jesus had been there the whole time? You think Jesus like playing hide and seek? Little peekaboo? Why didn't John see Jesus this entire time? Jesus is always at the right hand of God. He lives in his glory. But, but he didn't notice him. Why do you think that John didn't notice Jesus and had to be told to look Look at the lion. And then when he looked at the lion, he saw a slain lamb. Why do you think that's true? I'll tell you what I think. Put my Bible down here. It's just my opinion. 
It's because I think the image that John had crafted in his mind of what Jesus was going to be like was different than what he actually saw. See, he was, he was looking for this lion, this victorious lion. But he's standing there looking like a lamb who's been slain. What he thought in his mind it should look like wasn't true, and so he missed Jesus in the moment. And I believe the same thing is true for every one of us in this room at some point in our life. God's supposed to look like this. God's supposed to do this. God is supposed to provide this. God is supposed to keep me from pain, hurt, agony, suffering, doing all this, because he's the lion. I shouldn't hurt. There shouldn't be pain. There shouldn't be this. There shouldn't be that. I need God to be this. We're looking for the lion, and we miss the lamb. He's looking for God in a way that he wasn't. And so often we put an image in our mind of how God should provide and what God should do. And we're looking for the lion and not the lamb. But he looks over and he sees the slain lamb. Is Jesus coming back as a lion? Amen. But in this world right now, he hadn't come back as a lion yet. All things are in his hands. All things are in his control. But we've crafted an image that we should never hurt. We shouldn't have problems. Everything should be great. And birds should wake us up in the morning singing all the live long day. Tell that to the thousands of martyrs that died for the faith just this year. And so often the reason why we're frustrated with God is the picture you have in your mind of what he should do or what he should be like isn't actually who he is. He's good and he's faithful. And he's told, stop crying, look. And when he looks, he says, behold, slain lamb. And then look at, look at what they all sing and say. We're going to pick up in verse 8. Starting in verse 8, it says, when he, that's Jesus, took the scroll. Now, whose hand was the scroll in? It was in God's. And what did Jesus do? Took the scroll. Listen, you don't take something out of the hand of God unless you're God yourself, right? If you're ever wondering if Jesus is truly God, just look at the fact that he walked up and took the scroll. You don't take anything out of the hand of God unless you're God. And he took the scroll. I'm going to read down to verse 14. And the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense and with the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered, because you purchased people for God by your blood. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked, verse 11, and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless and thousands was thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever and ever. Amen. John said, I saw everyone who's ever lived, everyone who's ever going to live, all the elders, all the angels, all of creation, and they're all declaring glory and worthy is the lamb. Then I love verse 14. And the four living creatures, they said what? Amen. Amen. You know what that means? That's true. I can't add anything to that. Amen. That's what they said. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Throughout all of that, 
They're declaring he's worthy. Jesus is worthy. This is the picture of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That he and he alone is worthy. That Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy to be worshipped. Worthy to be honored. Worthy of glory. And you may say, wait, well, well, what was it about what they said? What is it about him that makes him worthy? You find it back in what they said, the song that they sing. Look back at verse 9. They said, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals to, to unlock all of God's promises and future because you were slaughtered. Because you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why is Jesus worthy? The Bible just told us in the song that they sing because he was slaughtered. Because he purchased people for God. He had to purchase us because we were bound and owned by sin enslaved to it, no way to get out, and he purchased us by his blood from every nation, tribe, language, and people. Through the slaying of the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, through his death, through the shedding of his blood, they say, you're worthy. You purchased them. And then in verse 10, he said, you're going to make them a kingdom of priests to God. And they're going to reign with you. And Jesus, because of this, you're worthy. You, Jesus, you're worthy, not us. You're worthy. We're not. I illustrate it like this. You may have heard this story before. It's not original to me, but I've embellished it enough to make it my own. So there's a story. As a kid who's getting ready for Christmas. And he's going to get his Christmas list ready. And he sits down at a desk, gets out a piece of paper, gets out a number two pencil. And he's like, I'm going straight to the source this year. I don't know about all that Santa stuff. I'm going straight to the source. Dear Jesus, I have been a good boy all, underlines all, year. And therefore, I want a Red Ryder BB gun. I want five Furbies and a Tickle Me Elmo. That's what I want. And while I was thinking if he should ask for a blowtorch, maybe a crossbow, he, he looks back up at what he wrote and he sees where he wrote, been a good boy all year. And he thinks about it and he's like, oh man, I kind of forgot about that. So he crosses out, been a good boy all year and he just writes six months and he goes back to his list. Okay, I want an Xbox, I want an Oculus VR Rift, this is what I want. Then he looks back up and he sees six months and he's like, all right, if I'm going straight to the source, I need to be more honest. Just crosses out six months, been a good boy for three months. All right, all right, I don't know about three months. One month. Man, I don't know. One week. Then he looks at the list. He looks at it. He crinkles it all up. He throws it in the trash, runs outdoor, runs through the neighborhood until he finds the nativity scene, runs up to the nativity scene, grabs Mary, goes back to his house, goes in his room, puts Mary in the closet, sits down at the desk, new paper, new pencil, dear Jesus. If you want to see Mary again, You'll give me this list. <laughs> See, and I, I love that story because it illustrates a very simple truth. The more we go back and the more we look, we realize we're not worthy. And we realize I, I don't measure up. 
and I have sinned, and I do have shame, and I do have failure. But yet, for some reason, we still bargain with a holy God and try to convince him that we're good enough to earn his love and favor. You can't earn the love of God. Stop trying. It's what makes him so amazing. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's what makes his death, his slaughter, the shedding of his blood so worthy of praise. It's because he did it for rebellious people like you and me. And I know what it's like to fight for worth. I grew up in a broken home. Dad shouldn't leave. People on both sides of my family to this day, addiction, alcoholism. I had abuse issues in my own life. Impulsive. Depression. I always fought for worth. But I know today that my name is on that scroll. And that God has a future and plans for me as his son forever and ever. And it doesn't have anything to do with my worth, y'all. And if you belong to Jesus, your name is on there too. And you didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to get rid of it because you're not worthy. So just breathe. They're singing about the worth of the lamb who was slaughtered, had his blood shed, and purchased the people. He's worthy. So we look to him and we sing to him. And so often, we're so discontent because we, we think, I have been good and I am worthy of something. And I deserve this and I deserve that. And if it doesn't happen, then, then I cry to God like a baby who didn't get what he wanted. But the Bible says he's worthy. And listen, look right at me. Life's not fair. Merry Christmas. I'm really glad life's not fair. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, the one who spoke creation into existence, the one that holds the world together by the word of his mouth, shouldn't have left splendor for shame. Shouldn't have left treasure for torture. Shouldn't have left glory for the hill of Golgotha where he was murdered. That's not fair. But God wasn't interested in fear. He was interested in righteousness and justice. And he paid for our sin because he's worthy. And you don't measure up. That's what makes him so beautiful, y'all. Walk into his grace. Look into the glorious truth of Jesus. He's worthy. And in the first century, John's uh, readers would have said, hey, someone who's worthy, they would have power and wealth and honor and glory. But in the first century, that's what people strived for. That's what they went after themselves. And people that actually go after power and wealth and honor themselves aren't worthy because they're striving for it. It's got to be bestowed upon you. 
Instead, it comes through sacrifice and suffering, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He was slain. He was crucified. He let go of his rights for us, and that's, that's, what, that's what makes him worthy. And I love the message translation when it reads. It says, but I saw the lamb slain, but standing tall. I, I, God brought you here this morning to, to look at him. The slain lamb and the returning lion. And some of you, man, you've got, you got a great family, great house, plenty of room, plenty of presence, plenty of space, perfect Instagram account with perfect kids and a perfect filter, and you put it up there and you drive us crazy. Because everyone's living their best life but us, Right? Maybe, maybe you're single, maybe you're separated, maybe you're successful, maybe you're unemployed, overemployed, or adequately employed. Walking through tragedy or triumph, it doesn't matter because at the feet of Jesus, we're all the same. In this Advent season, what we want you to do is look, 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 look at the Lamb. He's the lion, yeah, but he's also the lamb. And so whatever season you're in or stage of life you're in, raise up in faith and stare at the lamb knowing that we serve the lion. Nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing. And we're getting ready to sing again in a minute. And as we go through the next couple of weeks, as we get ready for Christmas, listen, I know you're gonna celebrate his first coming Christmas really well. Do it big. Presents and all of this stuff. We eat like four breakfasts at my house on Christmas Day. We go all, I'm not worried that you're going to celebrate Christmas. I'm not worried about it. I know you're going to celebrate his first coming. And you should. The question is, are you ready for his second coming? Because in his first coming, He was a baby in a manger who brought peace. But in his second coming, he's a victorious king who wages war. In his first coming, he was a child in swaddling clothes, and we sing, oh, come, let us adore him. But in his second coming, he's coming back on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood. And every knee is forced to bow before him. In his first coming, man, it's favor, it's forgiveness. But in the second coming, it's justice. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad that my judge, Jesus, is a slain lamb that was slaughtered for me, that's already purchased me that has already made me a kingdom of priests before God. All of the future and all of the destiny and all the promises that God has for me that he's gonna restore and make whole and make right and family members that I have lost and loved ones that I miss dearly that I will be reunited to in a place forever and ever with my king is true because Jesus opened that scroll. And the way you get ready for a second coming is to respond to his first. 
that for some of you, you, you need to refocus this year. Let's just be honest. It's crazy, it's busy, it's chaotic, and we've got a party every 12 days, and then every 12 seconds, and every 12 minutes, it seems like right now, and we're trying to buy this and do this and get that. Listen, you don't have to get them the perfect gift. You don't have to have the perfect decorations. You don't have to have the perfect anything for it to be meaningful. Because your family and those are not going to remember what you bought them. They're going to remember how you led them. Lead them to worship King Jesus. That's what will make this season memorable. Go big, go all out. But refocus. Others of you, you need to follow Jesus for the first time today. There are many in this room that have already followed Jesus. Their name is written on that scroll. But God brought you here today so that you can hear there is one who's worthy that you can give your life to. And he will love you and treasure you and delight over you if you respond in faith to him. And today we want you to do that. Respond to Jesus. In a moment, we'll tell you how. Others of you, man, you've been coming for a while. Plug in and own this place and be a member. Carry the mission. Others of you, man, we baptize regularly here. You're a follower of Jesus, but your next step of faith to show the world you're not embarrassed of the King of Kings, be baptized. But we're a church of next steps, and everybody in this room has a next step to take. And we want to give you some space to work through that. So let's bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute. And there's a reason why we sing a lot at Christmas. And it isn't because it just makes us feel good. It's because Jesus is worthy. And so for those of you today who are not followers of Jesus, you're not a Christian. And if you're wondering in your mind, like, am I, am I not? Man, nail it down. We want to talk to you. We're not trying to convince you of anything. We're trying to tell you what we know to be the eternal truth that guides everything. And that's that without Jesus, man, you are lost and you are separated. But with Jesus, you are son, you are daughter, you are family, you are forgiven. You are child of God. And God has promises and destinies and a future for you regardless of your past. And if you want to respond to Jesus in faith and become his follower today, then we want you to do that now in prayer with me. And then on, in your bulletin, man, there's a communication guide. Give us your name, email, phone number. Put, I want to follow Jesus on there. Put it in a bucket. Bring it to next steps. Tell a friend. Do something, but don't leave. And so today, if you want to follow Jesus, say, dear Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe you're worthy. I believe that you were slaughtered, that you spilt your blood for me. I believe I am a sinner, that I need to be forgiven, and would you save me today? I'm asking you to make me your son or daughter in Jesus' name. Pray that. Communicate with us today. Do that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, before we sing, I just want you to, as a posture, open your hands. I like to open mine up kind of face in heaven. And I want you to think about one thing in your life that has more room than Jesus. That up until this point is, is more worthy than Jesus in your life. And as you open your hands, you're just saying, God, I let it go. And as we stand and sing this great song, and lift your hands, close your hands around the idea that he is worthy 
and he's all that you need. So God, we pray that you would do what only you can do in the hearts of those that are here. We love you, we treasure you, we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.